Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We will get going, and I'm, I'm going to bypass the usual uh, charade about what we got to do to get things started. I'll just get right on to the speaker. Uh, the title of today's talk is Royalty Revenue, Why is Alberta Giving Our Resources Away? Uh, our speaker is David Campanella. David is a public policy research manager for the Parkland Institute, and he's based in Calgary. In 2011, David received his master's degree from York University, where he studied environmental politics and focused on political history of carbon capture and storage in Alberta uh, in the oil industry. So without further ado, I invite uh, David to come up and tell us what we're missing out on. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'd like to start things out by pointing to an interesting contradiction that's unfolding in the current provincial election campaign. As uh, some of you may have seen, last week a high-quality ledger marketing poll was released at the beginning of the campaign, and it found that a majority, 58% of Albertans, including 70% of Edmontonians, don't believe the public is getting its fair share of oil and gas royalties. At the same time as that, three of the four main parties, including the two front conservative, the two conservative frontrunners, are campaigning on the promise of not changing royalties. With the importance of the oil and gas industry to Alberta, this is a very important and major conflict. Perhaps we can get more into the nature of this political disconnect in the Q&A session, but for now this presentation is going to focus on digging into the state of oil and gas royalties in the province and see if the public isn't on to something and their belief that something is amiss in the oil patch. So let's start by looking at the industry as the whole and the overall percentage of revenue returned to Albertans, the owners of the resources. The blue line in this graph shows the percentage share of revenue derived from oil, gas, and bitumen that has gone back to the public through royalties and land sales. It shows the entire history of the public-private distribution of revenue throughout the 41-year tenure of the PC Party, beginning with Lougheed in 1971 and continuing up to Stelmac in 2010. As you can see, since peaking during Lougheed's term in 1978 and 79 at 40%, the public share has been declining ever since, except for the few bumps there along the way, to the lows of 10% in 2009 and 13% in 2010. Quite a far cry from what we had seen previously. Not shown in this graph, though, is 2011 where despite a resurgence in oil patch activity, the share of revenue going to the public dropped to the lowest level 
in PC history, 9%, according to the government's own figures. The red, lotted, the red dotted lines here are the revenue-sharing targets that the various uh, governments have set. So it started, uh, Lougheed set that target when he came in at 35%, and it was continually decreased to 20 to 30%, and then 20 to 25%. And then as you can see, after failing to meet those targets more often than not, the red line stops in 2009, because as of 2010, there is no more revenue-sharing targets in the formulation of royalty rates. So that's no longer considered a um, acceptable way to uh, basis for, for setting royalty rates. Our research shows that the distribution of revenue is particularly skewed in favor of the oil industry in the oil sands, or tar sands as they're otherwise known. This slide depicts the industry's pre-tax profits in the oil sands from 1986 to 2010. That's in purple. As well as what the public has in turn received through royalties and land sales. That's the blue and green. And if anyone in the back can't quite make out the last two, it's not because you need glasses. It's, it's a problem. Since 1986, when the graph starts, more than $285 billion worth of resources have been produced from the oil sands. $285 billion. And from that, the oil companies have netted approximately $260 billion in pre-tax profits, and the public in return has received less than $25 billion. Meaning, the public has received less than 9% of the total revenue generated in the tar sands. In 2010 alone, the public exchanged $36.6 billion worth of resources for less than $4 billion in royalties and land sales. A more, more accurate idea of the distribution of wealth in the oil industry we, we can find that more accurately through the concept of economic rent. And basically, economic rent is the sum of dollars left over after you deduct from overall revenue costs and a standard rate of profit, here taken at 10%. So it's basically the surplus. And as owners of the resources, Albertans have the right to 100% of that rent because the industry's costs and profits are already factored in. But in practice, some rent is generally shared with industry to incentivize development and promote cost efficiencies. As we can see from this graph, the provincial government doesn't have a good track record here either. This graph shows the government's official target for rent collection, 50 to 75% shaded in blue, with the government's actual record in collecting rent indicated by the red line. From the outset, that means, with the government policy of 50 to 75%, that it was government policy to leave up to half of the surplus profit generated from the sale of public resources in the hands of the oil industry. 
And as the graph illustrates, between 2000 and 2009, the government failed to meet even the low end of its target in eight of those 10 years, and not once did it reach the top end. And I should mention that this is for the conventional sector alone. And our research, again, indicates that the situation is even more severe in the oil sands. Here, the orange section of the bars indicates the share of rent going to uh, the oil industry in the oil sands, and the blue part is the public share. In the last decade, from 2000 to 2010, the government collected on average less than 10% of the rent in the oil sands, and it never managed to collect more than 20%. In 2010 alone, in a single year, 89% of the rent was left on the table for the oil and gas industry, and in dollar figures, that totaled more than $30 billion. Now, what sort of impact have these policy decisions by the provincial government had on the public purse? How much revenue has the public actually foregone? To estimate the public cost of the historic low returns for the province in the oil patch, we asked the question of what the alternative could have been if over those 10 years the government had managed to meet the top end of its rent target, 75%, which would mean that 25% of the surplus profit is still left for the oil industry. Our research found that such a modest proposal would have led to the public receiving an extra $67 billion in additional revenue over those years. More than enough to pay off the budget deficit, restore funding to social programs, and rebuild the Heritage Savings Fund. Instead, what actually happened was that between 2000 and 2009, the industry took home $113 billion of surplus profit from the conventional sector alone. In the oil sands, we hypothesized the government managing a 50-50 split in rent and found that the political failure to ensure such a distribution for Albertans meant $82 billion in lost revenue. Another, collection, another calculation we did was to see what would have happened if Lougheed's 35% target had been maintained and met throughout the PC's tenure. We estimate that the cumulative policy decisions of lowering and eliminating the revenue-sharing targets and failing to attain that 35% share for the public cost Albertans $195 billion in potential revenue, or $55,714 per person in Alberta today. And with that sort of historical record, managing the province's energy resources and the public interest, what could, we, what could be in store for us in the future? Lucky for us, the PCs tabled a budget before the election which mapped out their intentions regarding royalties. In that budget, the PCs indicated that they only plan to capture between 9 and 12% of oil, gas, and bitumen revenues over the next three fiscal years, maintaining the record of low public returns. During these three fiscal years, 
we found that restoring the 35% target for conventionals while holding a lower target of 25% for the oil sands would mean significant additional revenue for the public. Specifically, it could next year mean $17 billion and $19 billion in both of the following two years, coming to a total potential gain of $55 billion in just three years if we manage this file more in the public interest. In the face of such startling figures, it's important to ask how such markedly skewed distributions are happening, how the government has collected such low returns on the public's resources. Clearly, one reason is that the framework, the royalties framework in the oil sands is out of date and needs to be updated. It was instituted 15 years ago by Ralph Klein, Premier Klein, after being written in the main by the major oil companies and in a time when investment in the sector was risky and the price of oil was low. The framework allows a company to write off almost all of its costs and have the investment reimbursed by the public through virtually royalty-free bitumen. Although in the short term, the industry has real costs and puts up real money, those are recouped when the bitumen obtained for only 1% to 9% of revenue, an internationally recognized bottom-of-the-barrel royalty rate, is eventually sold. So standard business practice holds that a company pays for its inputs up front and works over the longer term to recoup costs and hopefully a sizable profit. But that's not happening in the tar sands. Instead, it is the public that assumes the burden of the costs when the government essentially waives its duty to charge a fee for the extraction of the public's resources. That is why the figures presented here for the oil sands assume no capital or operating costs to the industry, because in the long term, there are no costs to the industry. The government has ignored... The government has really ignored a very important reality for the people of Alberta that the oil sands is a crucial source of global reserves, giving the government a strong bargaining position. A stark truth in today's global oil market is that 90%, 90% of the proven reserves in the world are held by state-owned oil companies and off-limits to the private oil companies. And about half of what's available, what's left for the private oil majors is here in Alberta, largely in the oil sands. And it's not going anywhere. The private companies have, for over a decade, been desperately seeking to replace their drained reserves. Desperation that has taken them into extremely risky situations, such as deep offshore drilling, and we've, we saw what that can lead to in the Gulf of Mexico, and investments in places like Iraq and Libya, where the terms are not nearly as favorable to the oil companies as they are in Alberta. But the oil majors aren't the only ones vying. The private oil companies aren't the only ones vying for Alberta's reserves. As several state-owned oil companies are looking to Alberta, and the oil sands in particular, as a place to lock up large reserves of oil 
for their long-term interests. We see this coming from countries such as Norway and their uh, state oil company, Statoil, as well as uh, companies from China, as well as others. Moreover, though, it's important to ask if a reduction in investment is even a bad thing in the first place. Government action to limit investment might actually work to avoid the out-of-control conditions that we saw in the last boom, which on top of everything else, eats into the profitability of the oil sector and subsequently reduces the public's take in royalties. But that's a very different reality than the one we often hear coming from the government and the oil industry. Sorry, the gov- yeah, the government and the oil industry, especially during last year's, uh, the other, the last royalty review that happened the other year. And we should ask and find out what really happened during that tumultuous time. There was a lot of hype about uh, a capital flight, about the companies are going to pick up their drilling rigs and, and leave the province. So did plans for a royalty hike really cause investment to flee the province in droves? Well, no, it didn't. More than anything else, Stelmac's timing on the royalty review was just exceptionally poor and unlucky timing. The royalty review review coincided with two major events that greatly impacted the oil patch. One, of course, would be the Great Recession, which swept the globe and decimated the price of oil, as well as the shale gas boom in the U.S., which turned the North American market from one of scarcity and high prices to one of abundance and low prices. Yes, of course, the bottom fell out of drilling in the province, and this was largely seen in the natural gas sector. Indeed, between 2006 and 2010, natural gas drilling in the province fell 75%. But it also declined 68% in BC and 95% in Saskatchewan. It would be very difficult to make the argument that talk of a royalty increase in Alberta led to capital flight in those provinces as well. So it would seem from our research that the majority of Albertans have it right. We are not receiving our fair share of oil and gas revenue, and it would appear that it has been like that for some time since we could argue that we have received a fair share. So thank you again, and I look forward to hearing any questions.